From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, July 26th, 2018. This is episode 64, A Perfect Storm of Outrage. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host. I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests, longtime analyst, former Apple employee, uh, and uh, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. It's Michael Gartenberg. Hello. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I, I'm expecting you to lend some uh, interesting perspectives. You can tell us all the secrets about how Apple really does conspire to break all of its products. Uh, as a way to make more money. Uh, or perhaps I've said too much. Shelly Brisbane is also here, host of the Parallel Podcast, and uh, somebody who's been working in the tech world for a long time, or at least we won't say how long, but you and I used to work together. So, you know, that, that says something. We did. Hello. Thanks for having me back. I can't promise any secrets. Uh, I'll try, though. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can gin up. Um, and we might as well get to it. These are uh, the most interesting stories of the week as deemed by uh, me and by Stephen Hackett, who is not here in reality, but is here in spirit. And he picked the topics. So, you know, he his his impression is left on this podcast, even though he is uh, roaming around, I think, on a summer vacation with his family right now, which, you know, the nerve of that guy to do that. Anyway, um, topic number one this week in Tech Panics. Um, the MacBook Pro had a week. Uh, YouTuber Dave Lee found that his brand new top of the line Core i9 laptop last week was way too slow unless you put it in a freezer, which you, you should not do. Also, um, gloves don't work well on trackpads, so it, it just, it's not going to work. Um, but thus began a cycle of reactions. How could Apple do this? Who are they trying to fool? Why, you know, why do they make people try to think that these expensive products are any good? They don't even test them. How they, how could they have shipped it? And of course, uh, in a week, it was uh, uncovered that it was a weird firmware bug in the cooling system that had slipped through Apple's in-house testing and uh, ended up on shipping systems, even though the versions that they tested in-house didn't have the bug. It was sort of a missing piece of software. Um, and Apple, uh, obviously, some people worked all weekend because in, in a week from when uh, Lee posted his video and it went viral, um, there was a release and it was fixed and it was just a software problem and then everybody tested the new uh, laptops after the fix and they said oh now it makes sense it works fine um so i've got large scale questions and small scale questions but first let's start with this story itself and how apple handed it um i i I mentioned earlier that michael gartenberg used to work inside apple um how do you you know how do you think apple handled this and what's your reaction to how the world reacted and then how apple reacted well in this particular case i think apple reacted well and you know we found this bug, or it was found in one particular scenario doing one particular action, and Apple's testing Q&A, while it's extremely thorough, may not include every single permutation. And I suspect it was this particular um, function combined with this particular bug. Um, and then there's two ways to deal with it. Uh, one is to acknowledge that there indeed is a problem. And the second is to acknowledge there's a problem and you're going to fix it. And the third is not to acknowledge anything. Um, usually, you acknowledge the problem if you know you have a fix. And I think that was the case here. You, Apple acknowledged it and they promptly released the fix. They were able to duplicate it in-house and fix it. Um, 
When Apple doesn't acknowledge the problem, even though it seems to be a widespread problem, uh, for example, the problem that people were having with keyboards, exactly. uh, Apple never acknowledged that as a real problem, um, but then promptly changed the keyboard design in the new MacBook Pro. <laughs> um, That's a coincidence, a problem. surely. Yeah, surely. And you know, I suspect one of the reasons for that is you acknowledge you have a problem in the keyboard. Maybe you even know about the problem with the keyboard, but it's X number of Macs that have Y problem. And it's cheaper just to replace the X number rather than say we have a problem and then suddenly have to replace everyone's Mac Mm. and then be subject to the usual class action lawsuit that invariably comes around. So I don't know anyone who had a keyboard problem that Apple hasn't been able to deal with um, for the most part. But in that case, it's kind of telling that they redesigned it with, you know, little bit of uh, silicone, a little bit of uh, protection to prevent dust and stuff getting in. And, you know, it's one of those things that I suspect Apple really didn't want anyone to notice, forgetting about these are the days of iFixit and tearing it apart. Mm. And of course, they did notice and it was picked up and Apple had, you know, no comment other to say we're not retrofitting older Macs with, you know, newer keyboards. Yeah. Exactly right. Shelly, what did you think about this whole this whole thing? I mean, it was a, this we got to see this was a 7-day news cycle from discovery of of thing and posting of video to we found the problem and we fixed it and everybody's should be happy now. <laughs> Right. And I, I feel like that, that the video part obviously had a big impact because people could see, hey, look, this is something I ex- am experiencing. The only thing would have been worse is if the battery had been exploding or something like that, because that would also have been a visual. But I heard in a completely other context that we don't have to get into or, or, earlier this morning, a quote from somebody who's a crisis manager uh, who said, uh, essentially, and as a paraphrase, um, tell it all, tell it quickly and tell it yourself. And that is hmm. what Apple seems to have done in, in this case, not with the keyboards. I also feel like it's a it's a capital thing. So Apple has had issues around the MacBooks, not only in terms of the quality of the keyboard, but people have been waiting for these new MacBooks for a long time um, and they to, to get up to date with the Intel processors. And Apple sort of quietly released them, even though there was a lot of excitement by people who have been waiting to buy laptops for some time. And then this thing almost immediately becomes a story. And so it feels like in another time when Apple was a little less vulnerable, that it might might not have uh, gotten the attention it did. But I also wonder whether it would have gotten fixed as quickly because Apple, mm. being vulnerable, felt the need to get out ahead of this. And they seem to have done it. And I, I hope it's something – I mean, obviously, this was something that was relatively quick for them to fix because it was a software issue. But I hope it's something that they, they take a lesson from as going forward. If there are going to be inevitable uh, hardware and software issues coming up later on. Yeah, I was going to say that the the speed at which they fixed this issue is amazing, but the way they describe the bug, it sounds very much like it wasn't even like what we think of as a software bug in the sense that there's bad code somewhere. It's more like there was a piece of data. They called it a key. It's unclear exactly what they meant by that, but there's a piece of data that didn't get put on the firmware of the systems that we're shipping and it sounds like from what um what i understand that when they tested it internally that piece was there and at some point you should theoretically the one that you test is the as the final is the final but apparently something got omitted when it was being put on systems at the factory and uh the good news about that is all you have to do is release an update that puts the thing back 
which is not quite the same as, oh, no, we found a problem in code that we have to kind of unravel. And that let them uh, respond to it quickly. But I think you make a good point. Like, not only is Apple a little bit vulnerable, but I, I think the reason why is because Apple's huge. Apple, you know, Apple's worth like a trillion dollars. And there's a lot of scrutiny of what of everything Apple does, right? Like, not an Apple product release goes by without somebody doing a video complaining about something that may or may not actually be an issue. And in this case, it was corroborated. It was a, a, a legitimate, you know, a person who has respect. And then his report was corroborated and it was a real problem and it got dealt with. But um, I, I guess that's my larger issue. Apple is a good uh, example here, but there are others too. Like the internet is really good at being an outrage machine and it feels like everything gets immediately magnified, demands an immediate response. And even if there's like logic that you can go through, and this is the part that gets me is like i don't think the logic follows that apple would discover that their laptops that are that are have a huge market for video editors don't work for video editing and just release it right like that seems unlikely that they would be like oh we'll totally get away with this let's put it out there and yet that was the conspiracy theory was oh this is a lemon that they're trying to foist on us it's like no it's probably a bug probably a bug because they wouldn't do that and yet we're you know we've built this machine that makes it so easy for these stories to just kind of run away whether they're real or not which is another part of the problem like are is this an issue i should care about or is this irrelevant and there's sometimes it's very hard to detect which is which so what what, you know what do you think why do we do this and is there anything we can do to stop this um shelly i don't know i i feel like well as i i quoted earlier something from a political context, and I do think there is a way in which uh, being internet users and people who participate to a more or lesser extent in a lot of conversations in uh, non-technical ways, how, let's just dance around the issues, uh, I, I think people are sort of primed to be excitable one way or another. And there's also a lot of Apple hatred, Apple love. So people use their their preconceived points of view to have an opinion about what a, soft, what a hardware company did in terms of their laptop. And like I said, to be honest, if you've been waiting for an Apple laptop for a really long time, and if you've been wondering why they haven't released one, and maybe you're not really happy with the current MacBook Pros, either because of Mm -hmm. the keyboard or the touch bar, whatever it is, and then they come out, and with even before you've managed to get down to the Apple Store to see whether you want to buy one, there's already a video showing that there's a problem. You know, for, for some people, that's going to be sort of catnip in terms of like the outrage machine. And for other people who are just tired of seeing Apple beat up because they, they love the products and they are inspired by the company, there's going to be a whole other group of people who, who are going to feel the opposite way. And if you're just trying to figure out whether to buy a laptop and you haven't really taken a stake in this, I, I, you know, I don't know how, whether, I, I guess the story was quick enough that, that maybe it will only be a blip in terms of affecting uh, MacBook Pro sales, and it will be interesting to see, you know, people have already done some some benchmarking on the products themselves, but it'll be interesting to see, and I'm sure, Jason, you've been working on reviewing the products, but, uh, you know, how how is this computer going to land in the pantheon of Apple products, especially given that the MacBook Pro has had some issues of late I don't know the answer to that question, but it it does seem that the outrage machine kicks into gear to a great extent when Apple or any of the sort of big tech companies is involved. But, you know, Apple certainly because you're you're buying a piece of hardware, you're buying a product. So not only do you have opinions that are backed up uh, by social media, but you've put some money behind it. Yeah, Michael, what do you think about the idea that this, you know, 
does this have an impact? When, I mean, it seemed to hit at exactly the wrong time, which is like right after the product release. And then there's this question that is really at the core of the core market for the product, which is the which is things like video editors. Um, is this is this something that's a blip? Like Shelley said, is it something that Apple's going to have to be kind of uh, digging itself out of for the next for the next few months with this product? What do you think? Well, in general, um, let's remember Apple prides itself on details. So there's sort of three things that were sort of going on here. One, um, skip the conspiracy theories. Um, obviously, this was quick to fix, and Apple would have just applied a fix or shipped it a week later. Um, there's no way because Apple would have intentionally done this because it's everyone was replicated by anyone. Do these things, and you will see exactly what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, you can't deny that there is a problem here. The second thing for Apple is it was embarrassing. Um, because Apple prides itself on details. Here they were releasing these machines that people were waiting for. Here they were lockstep with the latest Intel processors. Um, and it's sort of like, finally, we gave the market what they mm-hmm. wanted. They ro- literally rolled it out at a New York event where they had a bunch of video editors and producers there to show how happy they were with it for video editors. And then later in the week, a video editor posted that YouTube post. <laughs> well, and, and that's sort of interesting that none of those pros in the course of their thing encountered the bug had they, I'm sure that would have impacted Apple. Um, it was something you had to do in a particular way and notice it. And it seemed to be you know related to this. And from an Apple perspective, when you pride yourself on details, um, live by the sword and die by the sword, mm-hmm. then expect people to look for those details. Um, and I think that goes to the scrutiny of Apple, um, per se. Uh, you know, we want to, the king says, I'm the king. You want to see, okay, can we knock off the king? That's if you're right. going to pride yourself on those particular details, boy, we are going to look at you totally under the microscope. Um, you know, with other companies, uh, the expectations are low. They're not scrutinized in the same way. And, and finally, internally, um, this probably drove people crazy because Apple prides itself on details. So I'm sure internally there was a lot of frustration um, and embarrassment internally because, again, a company that prides itself on details internally. And I promise you, this is a company um, that details in the work environment are just as scrutinized as well as details are in a product. So um, there was a lot of internal um, frustration and embarrassment as well. But in the end, Apple acknowledged it. They did the right thing and they did it quickly. All right, more on Apple in a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor this week. It's Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that brings you uptime monitoring and web performance management. What does that mean? Well, first off, you are affected by Pingdom every day, even if you aren't using it, because Pingdom is keeping the sites you use alive. Um, Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix, places like that, they use Pingdom to keep their sites up and running. So if you didn't notice any problems, you have Pingdom to thank for that. Websites are very complicated and sophisticated now. They have lots of different moving parts, contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, a whole lot more. Pingdom lets you check the availability of all of those functions. It's not just about getting a message when your whole site goes down. They care about the important interactions people are having on your site. So if you can't check out, if you can't add something to 
a shopping cart, if you can't uh, submit a contact form, you'll get warned about that too, not just is my site down. It's very easy to get started. Just give Pingdom the URL of the site you want to monitor. They will take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now. You'll get a 14 day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code download at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting download and all of relay FM. All right, moving back to Apple and controversies in general, Michael, I agree with what you said. You know, Apple is big. They're the king and it's good to be the king. And Apple Apple is in the spotlight for a reason and has made lots of money <laughs> being uh, incredibly successful. And this is sort of the payoff is that they get scrutinized even more than before. And that's just, you know, boy, it's a tough life that people are scrutinizing your garbage when you live in the giant house on the top of the hill, right? It happens. That's just how it is. But I do wonder about the, the whole thing of... Um, you know, our, our capacity, especially inside an outrage machine, to generalize and say, you know, I, I saw a lot of people. First off, I did see the people, as Shelly mentions, who are like, I still don't believe it. <laughs> it's like, OK, um, wow. You like they basically did just want to hear bad things that Apple has done. And they and then when it's like, oh, no, it turned out to be a bug and it's fixed. They're like, mm, I don't believe it. I think it's all a, a conspiracy. I'm like, OK, whatever. But there is this other part of it, which is. um which is the logic of it. Like, I, I, I see people say, how could it be that Apple didn't test this? And it's like, you know, I, I know we try to simplify things that are beyond our, um, our, our experience. But like this, everything that I can tell about this, this was an incredibly complex uh, process of, of getting a new computer out the door with all the firmware and everything. And obviously, there was a portion of the process in an esoteric place. It's the loading of a key into power management firmware that apparently didn't happen the same way when loading it at the factory in China as it did when loading it on the systems in Cupertino. And it's like, okay, you know, this is this is the answer is all the obvious ways that they could have screwed this up. They covered those <laughs> like they do pride themselves on the details. I think what was probably frustrating is that this wasn't somebody asleep at a switch. This was a very complicated process that threw out a, a really weird esoteric problem that bit them in exactly the wrong place. And I, I, my, my frustration sometimes on the Internet is everybody is like, oh, I could have done that. And the answer is no, you really couldn't have. This is a much more complex thing. But in the end, does it matter? In the end, Apple's the big cheese and um, they're expected to get all the details right. Right. And in this case, they blew it. They had something in their system that was wrong. And so, you know, I think you take your lumps, right? That's that's uh, you're you're the you're the number one target and you're going to just have to take your lumps. But can they you know, does this does this cause more trouble for this product? Like Shelly said, this is already a product that's kind of been controversial in, in, in the last two versions of this generation of product. This is not the beginning of the story for this product. Well, but I mean, despite the fact that they went to video editors to announce this product and they subsequently got a temporary black eye, it's not the blue screen of death when Steve Ballmer is doing a demo. I mean, it's, it's not WWDC or the fall announcements. It's a summer release targeted to a specific market to address a long-standing Standing, uh, belief that there needed to be a new product in that line. And it feels like now that it's fixed, Apple gets to say, hey, You're here, right. judge this product on its merits. We fixed the software and we did so quickly. Hey, video editors, why don't you buy one and tell us how it works for you? And, you know, they have the opportunity to get past that. And they do get points for that transparency, even if there are still ongoing issues with the keyboard and, and other things, uh, at least on this. And they, they you know, they're, they're fortunate, I guess, if you want to be all jaded about it, they're, they're fortunate that this was a software problem that could be 
uh, remedied and remedied quickly. Mm. I mean, it, if it if it had been the keyboard, or if it had been some other thing that was you know real fundamental to the hardware, where you would have had to recall products and stuff, this would yeah. be a different story. Well, this was a perfect storm of outrage. Um, one Apple brought everyone into New York and said, we're going to show you how the super professionals use this and how happy they are with this product. Um, second, they had the misfortune of someone who does a particular routine in Final Cut um, where the bug was affected. The third was they happened to pick a person who had done this routine so many times before on his old computer that he was able to say, wait a second, this feels yeah. a little bit slower, not faster. And I suspect people who were not under those last two circumstances, who just used it like professionals who were there, never noticed it because, you know, it's fast enough. Um, I, I don't I don't see any slowdown because I have no point of reference. So, boy. That is, you know, three things that you can't anticipate because had it not been this particular person, I doubt anyone else would have noticed it. Of course, once you sort of, you know, you have a new car and you're worried about getting a scratch on it. You look at your car and you think it's perfect. It's perfect. And someone points out the scratch and that's all you can see forever. Yeah. Um that thing that you missed before and it's there and you're going to notice it. And now everyone who comes by is, you think is going to notice it. Um, but under most circumstances, no one would have seen it. No one would have noticed it. Um, and that's why this became embarrassing. It was sort of like, you know, someone picked exactly the one thing to do that would highlight this problem that you really had to go back to your old computer to really get a sense of was it even really there i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree slightly in the sense that i don't think this is quite that esoteric it is a uh, processor performance under load and i feel like the, the only hesitation i've got here is um, what i want to say is when the product reviews started to happen from people who use video ex you know video exports as comparative testing that they would have said oh wait a second what's going on here and there would have been a really weird anomalous result which is and and you know Dave Lee got there first but that somebody else would have done it that said i do have to say the current state of the art in uh tech website reviews is like at Macworld, there was a time where we had when um, when the performance marketing people at Apple, who probably did all the testing on this story before and after it happened, by the way, were in the Macworld lab instead. <laughs> they used to work like Jim Galbraith, who who now works at Apple. He was, he was in our lab. And what Jim would do is he would run a whole battery of tests. And the fact is, over time, you end up with a tiny staff and you don't have a lab anymore and you just run Geekbench. And Geekbench didn't show this. And this is one of the challenges with this. So what I want to say is someone, I don't know who, Laptop Mag or Ars Technica or somebody would probably have spotted it, but I'm less confident in that now than I would have been five years ago when there were a larger number of people with more resources who are devoting like lots of tests to it. Because you, you are right that this is one very specific thing, area where some tests missed it and other tests would have seen it. But, um, but I do think somebody would have seen it. Somebody who, whether it was, if it wasn't um this this person it would be somebody it would be rob art morgan on bare feet or it would be somebody at ours technica or somebody who would who would be like danger danger video you know encoding doesn't work right um so they were going to get hit but with this eventually but the timing and the fact that it was somebody who has credibility and it was it was just i do agree the perfect storm like it didn't it didn't get uncovered four weeks later in a video forum somewhere <laughs> 
Well, in the past, no one would have had a way of even expressing their outrage to the world. It's but true. I'll dis- but I'll disagree with you even slightlier. Um, <laughs> Reducing levels that, of disagreement. Excellent. Knowing, <laughs> knowing how products are tested at Apple. I mean, they didn't give it to like, you know, Phil Schiller and say, hey, Phil, mess around with him a little bit and let us know if it works. Yeah. Um, although although I'm, I'm sure that was part of the process, too. Um, Apple's testing routines and labs and people who do these things are probably as sophisticated as anyone who was at Macworld or at ours or any of the places. I guarantee you they weren't just running Geekbench. Sure. Away. Oh, no, ab- absolutely um, not. I, I think my, my impression is, though, that they ran all their tests internally and it was fine because they were using a build that had the key. And it didn't get put on the external shipping systems, which means when they tested it, it all looked fine. <laughs> and then the shipping models didn't. No, 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 no. Um, shipping models are tested. They all don't right. just use... I mean, think about it. You don't just use a production model internally and then see what comes off the line and hope the two match up. Um, there are people who are traveling back and forth from China, for example, with iPhones, um, because sure. you're going to test them off the line. You're going to test them off different lines. You're going to test them off different runs um, because they're not all made at exactly the same time or exactly in the same place by exactly the same people. So, yeah, you don't just look at stuff. In-house is step number one. Um Step number two is you test samples from the product line. Um, every one of those things has to be sampled, and they're done in China, and they're done back in Cupertino as well. So that, I can tell you, um, is an unlikely scenario that this was something Apple you know, uh, caught in-house because their machines you know, were good, and the ones that made it into production, I Yeah, I, I, uh, again, I, I have some indication that it may have been something like that, but it's true. It may be extra complicated where it was they did testing, and then they needed to make a change and they shipped the product with, when they should have taken another one off the line with the change and tested it again or something like that. But there was clearly somewhere in there, there was a screw up. Yeah, <laughs> Where, I mean, well, <laughs> there, there was a screw up, but it, I, I don't think it was as obvious to say that, you know, anyone would have caught to me. The perfect storm was someone did the right thing at the right time and was able to notice it. Um, in that particular function and then cause the mess up. And but I again, guess I would have said, I think five years ago it would be more likely that somebody else would have, would have caught it. And I would have said that with more certainty when the tests were that most people run on the outside were more broad, but we don't live in that era anymore. So it is sort of fortunate that Dave Lee caught this. Yeah. It's, it's fortunate that it was caught now. I mean, if it was a month later, then how bad does Apple look? Because it's, it's happened and maybe they didn't catch it because they weren't primed to catch it. And then we're starting to talk about, well, not only did they not test it, but they didn't do the follow-up they should have. And they sat on their laurels and just shipped a bunch right. of computers. Although I, could, I could argue, though, that they might look better because it would seem more like an esoteric bug if it was in the field for a month and nobody noticed. <laughs> sure, why not? I don't know. <laughs> Without being an apologist for my old uh, employer, um, like I said, every production run, everything that comes off the line is tested. There's nothing that gets shipped where part of that line hasn't been looked at and subjected to the same routines because this is a company that prides itself on details and therefore these details are done so some, um, something happened where the the tests that were being done at that point just missed this right 
something in the course of the tests that were being done. They're done in a cool match, place. They're done in a cool not, location. Right. <laughs> did 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 not match this particular um, set of functions. And you know, again, this particular set of functions on this particular version of Mac OS with this particular version of Final Cut doing this particular action, it is entirely possible someone missed it. And again, again, one of the things I think that and, and Apple does do, you know, comparisons and, and, and we'll make sure these things work. But again, this is a perfect storm of someone doing something and uncovering this and then everyone being able to replicate it. So you can't just say, well, it's just one person with a weird quirk in his machine, you know, reinstall your software, <laughs> download yeah. everything again. Um, and that's where this became nagging. But at the end of the day, however it managed to get there, it was there and it affected the situation. So at that point, Apple really has no choice other than, you're right, put a bunch of people on this and say, one, replicate it. Okay, done. Okay, folks, you are not leaving here until someone finds a way to fix this, because otherwise we are going to have to do a product recall. Yeah. Um, because we can't just, you know, ignore the fact and say it's X number of machines. No, this is a particular thing by a particular number of people, and bam, like fix this, or we are going to get hit with lawsuits, and we are going to have to do a product recall. So fix it. Yeah, I don't lock, care what lock you the have. Door. Do. All right. Don't care. Don't care what you have to do. Um, you know, um, you know, fix this problem or, or, or puppies will die. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I, pro- I, I puppies are fine. We'll have a pu- fuzzy puppy update later. Everybody will be very happy. But yes. OK, we're going to move on and talk about things that are not Apple because um, there's other things going on to talk about and maybe have some uh, decreasing levels of disagreement about those too. But first, I want to tell you about Simple Contacts, an app that takes a tiresome task and makes it easy by being the easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You can reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test. It takes less than five minutes from wherever you are right now. You don't have to go back to the doctor, wait in a waiting room just to get a renewal on your contacts. It's summer, there are plenty of occasions you might need contacts on hand, go to the beach, go on a vacation, spend time outdoors. Why not use Simple Contacts to stock up for the season? You can order your favorite contracts right from their website or app. They offer all the lens brands you love. It's a remarkable... I found my totally weird contact lens. It's in there. All the options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and a whole lot more. And you can order exactly what you need right from the palm of your hand whenever you want. The vision test is just $20 for comparison. An appointment without insurance in a doctor's office somewhere could cost you $200, let's say. Simple Contacts can save you money and time. It's not a replacement for a periodic full eye health exam. What they do is they check that your current prescription still helps you see 2020, and then they let you renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing completely new prescriptions or examining your eye health. This is for renewals of your existing contact lens prescription. Um, as a listener to this show, you can get $20 off your contact lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash download20 or just enter download20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash download 20 or use the code download 20 for 20 dollars off thank you to simple contacts for supporting this show and now it's time for the story you might have missed before we get to facebook here's a little story that may have flown under your radar it's worth mentioning microsoft won praise in may for unveiling something called the adaptive controller which is designed for gamers with disabilities it's a very cool product this week though it took it to another level by revealing the packaging for the adaptive controller which is also accessible there are peel-off strips loops ribbons multiple access points on the box to make it easier to get it out of the box and pull out the control 
controller. So basically, not only is the controller accessible, its packaging is accessible, which is pretty cool. The product launches in September and will cost about 100 bucks. Now, moving on to topic number two, um, let's forget about those billions in euro that are going to the EU to pay off antitrust fines because Google's quarterly results are in, and they're pretty good. Alphabet, Google's parent company, reported a 21% improvement in revenue, a 26% improvement in profit, and as you might expect, uh, the stock price reacted to that and future growth and uh, increased as a result. Uh, Most interestingly, while Google's ad business grew, its other revenue line, which is cloud services, grew even faster, which is important because Google wants to be known as more than just an advertising company. They want to show growth in other areas. A little bit like Amazon, which wants to show like where it's growing in its cloud services. Um, so, is Google more than just an advertising company? And if so, what is it and where is it going? Shelley, what do you think about Google and where they're headed? I feel like they... Well, even just as an advertising company, they're really in a sweet spot, and they are not as dependent as other companies that we'll talk about on the the whims and scandals of people who might be using those platforms, because uh, websites need advertising, and advertisers need people to look at them, and and Google makes that thing happen. Um, The cloud services thing, I I think it'll be... It's interesting, the the growth they've had, and that makes sense. It'll be interesting to see how and whether they end up competing more directly with Amazon and Microsoft as we go forward. Because you say, you know, Amazon is counting on their cloud business. They've already made that a really substantial part of what they do. And when you when you break out Amazon results, you look at the retail side plus and the cloud side sort of separately and, and people, very substantial uh, internet presences rely on AWS. And uh, Google, I'm certain that is the case as well, but that's it, they still seem to be growing. There seems to be a lot that we don't know yet about where Google will excel in that cloud services business. As far as the advertising stuff and as far as the other platforms they have, I think what's noteworthy is how dominant they are in those areas. And so it's not a matter of, well, did they make a little revenue on the next largest competitor? They're they're just enormous. And they continue to be, and their business model continues to be based on uh, monopolizing the areas where they are. So I I guess that's why I'm interested in whether the cloud service thing will be an area where Google is actually forced to compete with Microsoft and Amazon or whether Google finds a way to reinvent it so that they can monopolize that sector. You said cloud services, but I heard clown services, and I'm trying to imagine. <laughs> I, Google, I think I did say that. <laughs> Google sending sending clowns to your house. Um, many, they, many, many clowns. But they send exactly the right clowns because they exactly. know what kind Just of clowns, the clowns you, you like. Need. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, Michael, what do you think about uh, where Google's going, and what what are they? What what is their identity? What are they? There is that secret clown project, but that's for another time. Um, well, one of the things that, that struck me was one of the areas where Google like showed like the best results was from their investments. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily our products. It was the fact that we were just really smart about the stuff we invested in um, that did well. Um, Google does not want to be considered an advertising company. Remember, this is Google. We want to index the world. We want to change the world and, and everything else. Um, we're, we're not just some, you know, sleazy ad company. But at the end of the day, it's the ad revenue that keeps the lights on. Um, that lets everything else get funded. But yes, Google wants to be known as it almost feels like Google wants to become synonymous with internet infrastructure and then a lot of the things that you do on top of the internet. And I think for a lot of people out there, uh, you know, the internet 
is, is sort of two things. Um, you know, one is Google and then the other is Facebook. And depending on what you're doing, um, you're, many people are probably interacting with both using Google for things like, you know, search and, and for their Gmail and then, you know, Facebook for their social interactions. And that's pretty much all they know running it, of course, on Apple hardware. <laughs> that's pretty much what most consumers are starting to see today. And that combination is sort of what, you know, the AOL was, you know, way back in the day where, where people just simply, you know, there was their dial-up connection. That was sort of their way to get into the cloud. There was their PC, which is the hardware. And then there was AOL for all their social interactions and email. You didn't need to separate those two things. And of course, there was no search. So it, Google really wants to be synonymous with the internet. Um, it's synonymous with the future. You know, all those crazy, um, you know, loony things that they finally had to break out, um, probably for revenue reasons, um, so that they weren't being dragged down in the overall. Right. The other bets. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, again, when you have that type of money, you can be a little quirky with how you mm. spend it. Um, you know, um, you know, some billionaires build their own secret rocket ship bases um, off of islands they own. Um, and companies like Google say, let's, you know, invest in indexing and knowing everything and the world knowledge and of course just using it for total good and you know respecting people's privacy um very much so don't worry because we know all the stuff about you but we got it locked down and um you know your your secrets are safe with us as opposed to well another company that i think we're going to talk about in a little bit is isn't there a challenge though i i think one of google's challenges is the way they make their money and they turned out to find an amazing way to make a lot of money is a little bit at odds with their self-image like because i think you're right i think google's self-image is we're changing the world by making all of the world's information available and understandable and now we're, we're using machine learning and ai and we're bringing smartphones to the entire world with android and all of these things that are changing the world for the better and yet when you look at how they make money it, it in their history and even now you could boil it down to congratulations you found a really great way of selling advertising and it's like they don't want to think of themselves as that so it's some of it is just like self-image like it, it's not it's not cool you're not cool and changing the world if what you're doing is uh you know putting data about everybody so that you can better sell them ads on the internet but that's really what their business is um, like school, you know, there's the cool kids in their cool table. And then there's like, you know, uh, everyone else, you know, I got the jocks and, you know, um, but, you know, and then of course the rest of us like me. Um, and at Google, you know, you're the guy <laughs> or girl or I'm sorry, man or woman, whatever, that is working on coding to make the ad stuff fraction of a second faster, or you're on the team that's doing real-time translation um, so that phones can become, right. you know, the next, uh, you know, uh, you know, instant uh, translator, uh, universal translators, um, and all those cool things. Uh, unfortunately, it's the guys in the back room who are doing that little coding um, are making the money. Um, and it's the guys in the front who are saying, we're what Google represents. We are the future. But it's the folks in the back room that, again, are keeping the yeah. lights on. So... The problem is, is you can represent that self internally. You can think of yourself as as the cool kid and everything else. But at the end of the day, um, you still have to look at 
the bottom line. Um, the bulk of the students in the school are not playing on the basketball team. Um, and the bulk of the basketball team isn't necessarily playing. But at the end of the day, the school is made up of lots of other people. Um, and that comprises the school. So, I mean, it's a All right. really lousy analogy. But the bottom line is Google perceives itself internally one way. And that's partially because the people who are working on the cool projects perceive themselves in that way. And they're the ones that are getting, um, you know, the forward facing Google that's going forward. Uh, and the people who scrutinize Google from a monetary perspective, like financial analysts say, we're, we're not really impressed with your you know, universal translator. How's the ad revenue doing? I guess I don't know that I see Google's continuing self-image as as warm and fuzzy or positive as, as even they would have characterized it before. After all, they got rid of don't be evil, right? And I think Google on some level uh, I, I would hope is realistic enough about itself to recognize that it was never quite as altruistic as it thought of itself. But but you're right that certain teams, like if you are on a team that is uh, scanning all the books in the world and making them available or creating uh, tools that could be used by somebody who's in a, in a country where they wouldn't otherwise have Internet access, you can feel good about what you're doing and you can feel like your, what your work is being supported because of the investment of the company overall. But I if, if Google... If, if Google's overall image or if most Googlers think of themselves as a, a somewhat altruistic, forward-looking company that is more concerned about that sort of thing than they are about revenue, then I think they're as diluted as Facebook or, frankly, as an awful lot of tech companies that probably got bigger than they ever than their founders ever expected them to. And so their conception, their self-conceptions might not have caught up with the company that they built themselves or that stockholders right. have forced them to build in order to make the revenue that's requ- required. It's also public perceptions of companies, right? Apple prides itself on privacy and constantly slams Google about it. Google is sort of, and this is a really good analogy. You've got these, you know, uh, perception of these southern towns that are totally corrupt and, and they're run by families and, you know, you're going to get pulled over by, um, you know, the uh, sheriff who's going to ask for the fine on the spot and people would make fun. But then there's New Jersey and these towns go, thank God for New Jersey because they make us look good and no one is paying attention to us because New Jersey is the most corrupt state in the union. And I think that's what you've got here. Um, people would be taking a much closer look and a harder look at, at Google, except that, you know, Sundar isn't going around saying the Holocaust didn't happen or supporting Holocaust deniers or anything else else. And they also have dealt with these things faster. I mean, I remember a situation where I was searching in the app store um, for a Jewish calendar. And what came back was a whole list of Nazi photos and memorabilia and, and things that had been coded. And I put it out publicly. And within like 15 minutes, I got a call from Google and they said, the problem's already fixed. And we apologize. And we apologize to everyone. We apologize to Jews, everyone. This was horrible. And it's been fixed. And it will never, ever happen again. Um, and then they came out and made a public statement to that effect. And it went away. Instead of trying to say, you know, there was no problem here, or we didn't, you know, mess up, or it was an algorithm, and and let's restate it, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Google does tend to try and fix these things, um, but you're right, um, you know, don't be evil. Oh, come on, guys, even we can't look in the mirror and say that with a straight <laughs> face anymore. <laughs> just, just get it out of there. 
All right, we have a little bit more on this podcast, but before we get there, I want to tell you about our last sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to start a podcast ever. You can record a high-quality podcast, host unlimited episodes, and distribute everywhere with just one click, and it's completely free. Anchor's app has some of the most innovative features around. You can get voice messages from your listeners so you can integrate them into your show. They can transcribe segments. You can turn them into videos that you can share. You can add audio transitions and background tracks, and there are detailed analytics so you can see how many people are listening to your show. Plus, Anchor just rolled out the ability to record with up to seven friends anywhere in the world so you can have group podcasting. They have high-quality audio, high-bitrate stereo sound so your episodes sound great. And for people who are using the iPad to make content, that includes me, actually, Anchor's iPad app is very good. It's got easy editing tools, multitasking support. You can drag audio in from other apps and assemble your podcast in the Anchor iPad app. Go to anchor.fm slash download to find out more about what Anchor can do for your new podcast. And if you sign up there, your show could be featured in a future ad. That's anchor.fm slash download. Go there now and start your podcasting journey today. Thank you to Anchor for supporting this show and for giving aspiring podcasters an easy way to get started. Topic number three, Facebook. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, Facebook's uh, released its uh, Facebook released its quarterly re- results too, and it didn't go well. Uh, Facebook lost about twenty percent of its overall value. Uh, or its earnings report missed expectations on revenue, but the key thing is it offered weak guidance for the next quarter. And of course, so much about stock prices about where the company is going, not where it's been. Um, user growth also slowed in part because of the European Union's privacy regulations, the GDPR stuff. It's been a tough year for Facebook. So um, is this a blip or is this Facebook kind of getting its getting its comeuppance for all the stuff that's been going on? Uh, and, and I think my broader question is, now that people and governments are more aware of all the tactics used by companies like Facebook, is it going to be a much harder time? for these kinds of companies going forward. Shelley, what do you think? Yeah, I think the problem is not people want to simplify it to, oh, Cambridge Analytica, that screwed Facebook up. And, and certainly that's a, a big blip and probably made people who didn't ever think about Facebook one way or another, they just used it, probably made them think about it in a different way, which is as damning as whether they actually got off the platform or not. They don't necessarily think of Facebook as the place that they can trust and can be comfortable in because they think there's something a little janky about it. But I think it's fair to point out that there was a lot there's a lot more that has gone on with Facebook not just even in terms of news stories but some of the the information in the in the numbers indicated that the, the level of engagement had decreased uh, so even so user growth is obviously a, a pretty important number but engagement is where you get people to keep their eyeballs on the platform stay there for longer engage with your advertising and do all the things that make Facebook money and I, I, an interesting sort of point that people made right after the Cambridge Analytica thing happened was, well, people can't be serious about leaving Facebook because they're still using Instagram, which is a Facebook company, which I felt like totally misunderstood this problem of engagement that I'm talking about because people's experience with Instagram, looking at pictures and liking things and seeing what celebrities have to say or what their friends are showing as photographs is completely different than going to a platform where you're consuming news, where you're interacting with your friends, where you may be getting in futile political arguments. And whether they're owned by the same entity or not, they feel like totally different places and experiences. And so I I think that that engagement and whether people feel like Facebook is a place that they are comfortable and more importantly, that their friends are going to continue to be uh, is what is really going to to harm them. And we already know that uh, young people 
do not adopt Facebook as their first social media platform. They're on Snapchat or yep. some other platform. Yep. And so that that engagement to me seems almost more important than user growth. I might sign up for an account, but how active am I going to be on the platform and, and how much can an advertiser count on my seeing their advertisement? Michael, what do you think? I think it's been a hard year. For yeah, Facebook tough, and, tough. and for yep. and, and, and for Zuck, you know, culminating with the, the interview with with Karen. If anyone was at the um, All Things D conference the first time that she interviewed him, and he, he just started breaking out and sweating, and she you was know, like, "Take off your hoodie." Yep. And he's like, "You know, I'm okay." And she goes, "Take off your hoodie." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he's become a little more polished and then, you know, shoots himself in the foot. I mean, the only executive that's done that more than Zuckerberg this year has been Elon Musk. And, you know, this was a bad year. You had Cambridge Analytica, um, and you're, you're summoned before Congress and Congress is just there to mess with you. And he's sitting there. You could see on his expression, like, why am I sitting here with these stupid people? Although the best moment I thought was one of the congressmen, one of the congressmen said, Mark, you want to tell us what hotel you're staying at? And there was a beat. Oh, and goes, was no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole thing was worth it. And then, then you know, he's, you know, someone to see the queen. And, uh, you know, it's got to be driving him absolutely bonkers. But one, it's all well-deserved. Um, Facebook's been playing fast and loose with privacy forever. Facebook would make a change to their privacy, um, you know, ideas. And all of a sudden you had to go back as a user and reset all of those fairly complicated issues, uh, assuming you cared about it. Um, people were sort of stunned saying, wait, I never filled out that questionnaire. What? Because a friend of a friend filled out the questionnaire. They were scraping off my data as well. Oh boy, that is super creepy. But as you said, at the end of the day, the hashtag delete Facebook. Facebook had virtually hmm. no effect. Um, and as you said, even those that deleted Facebook didn't realize Facebook probably owned, you know, Instagram and kept that. And then, of course, there's always WhatsApp, <laughs> which is also owned by Facebook, which is a company that has prided itself on privacy and encryption and everything else. And um, a lot of users, including myself, are sort of looking at that going, hmm, <laughs> you know, especially since the founders have all left the company. Um, you know, what's next out of uh, that? Because, you know running WhatsApp as an altruistic service doesn't seem like it's in the Facebook model. And then finally, they've had the other issue with the guidance going forward. And that seems to be pretty clear is the people that used to engage with Facebook most are starting to walk away from Facebook. Um, you know, once your mom and dad start showing up to your uh, places where you hang out, you're mm. going to find another hangout. Um, and, you know, apparently there's a fairly common thing where um, the kids who are on Facebook set up two profiles, one that their parents can yep. look at. Um, you know, with them playing with their, you know, animals and having fun. And then there's the other one that shows what they're actually doing for their friends, which is, you know, uh, the, the profile number two, the subculture, or they're moving on to things like Snapchat and they figure it's still, Snapchat is still hard enough that my parents can't use it. And we'll hang out here for a while until we can figure out the next thing. So you add all of these things together and it's not been good for Zuckerberg. I mean, you saw what it is the stock drop and after hours, it's it was like 20, 20, yeah, more than 20%, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> a hell of a lot of money um, wiped out in a couple of seconds um, by, uh, you know, this culmination of things. And, you know, Facebook's going to have to get its act together. But at the end of the day, um, so, you know, with all of the stuff and all the outreach, everything else, Congress and everything else, 
Everyone's still using Facebook. The people who were using Facebook before were using Facebook. There wasn't a mass exodus from Facebook over this. Most people really don't care about their privacy all that much. They might have been shocked, you know, to find out that, you know, uh, whole thing about surveys and sharing data. But I suspect most of them said, oh, that's like really creepy. Okay. Moving right along. I, I think you're absolutely right. But you, you said it is that, is that everybody's more on edge, but it's easy. And, and I think governments are more aware of what Facebook and, and Google and other companies are doing. Uh, and I think that is not great for their business, but it is so easy to overstate its impact. And if I had to guess, I would guess that Facebook will get most of the value that it lost back. Because, you know, to your point, the fact is, Facebook is in a very powerful position. And yes, it's not going to go on forever. And yes, there are issues. But at the same time, and and yes, regulators are going to pay more attention. And consumers will even pay a little more attention. But let's not kid ourselves that this is an exodus from Facebook and Facebook's value is dramatically dropped because, it, you know, the jig is up or something like that. It's like everybody's a little little more aware and it did you know it's taken hits and there's chips that's that have been taken out of it and uh it's going to take more hits quite frankly but let's not overplay that into being that oh suddenly everybody realizes what facebook is and we'll stop using facebook because that ain't going to happen well we were talking earlier about google being somewhat diluted in terms of its self-image versus reality and I, i think zuckerberg specifically and facebook generally as michael gave some examples of how he he was just completely unprepared for what happened and I think Facebook in general is primed for more problems like this, whether they be scandals like Cambridge Analytica or crazy privacy breaches that seem completely avoidable, because I think internally they don't – they're just – they're patching stuff. They're not thinking holistically. They're not capable of thinking holistically. How do we create a platform that does what we need it to do, which provides a place for people to look at ads that also is of value to people and that, oh, by the way, puts at least a decent fig leaf on protecting the elements of privacy that we can protect and still sell the ads? I, I don't – I just think they're, they're, they're patching a leaky lifeboat, basically. And I, that, that doesn't mean that I think that Facebook is doomed by any means in the short term. It just means that whenever they have a crisis, it's going to be big and it's going to be messy and we're going to see Zuckerberg sweat a lot more. It's like what we were saying about Apple earlier, right? Like when you're one of the big dogs, you're going to have this. This is going to happen. This is the price you pay for being one of these huge brands is you do have a target. People are paying attention. they're bad at it. Apple is arguably considerably better at (laughs) handling those kinds of... Oh, trust me. It's very clear that now that Facebook is very bad at this. (laughs) you've, You've never seen Tim Cook um, you know, uh, react or, or deal with these things um, as Apple or, you know, um, Satya Nadella or Sundar, you know, Pinchai, they just, they don't make these type of mistakes. Um, and then, I, you know, it's clear that Zuckerberg feels that this is okay for us, but then you see these things like, oh, he bought up every property around his house because he doesn't want anyone near him for privacy mm. um, or that fairly famous picture where I guess they were showing a picture of them coding and someone said, wait, Zuckerberg's laptop has tape over the uh, microphone and the uh, um, camera. Like, what does he know that we don't mm. know? So it sort of feels like that. It sort of feels like, you know, Facebook responded to these things because, you know, there's really no big deal. Why are we wasting our time? But it seems to be like a PR issue. So we'll go deal with it. Um, I'll go before Congress because they're just going to ask me a bunch of stupid questions, which for the most part they did. Um, you know, is, is Facebook secretly listening to my conversations and, you know, therefore knowing that I'm searching for a suit? Um, honey, honey, I'm going to buy a suit. And all of a sudden Facebook starts showing me suits and, you know, 
and some of his questions were also sort of like that. Is Facebook? And his response was, no, we're not. No. Uh, next, <laughs> next, next question. Um, so to him, this was sort of a waste of time. For him, he's been busy trying to cultivate this um, almost – Steve Jobs like image, you know, I wear the same outfit every day. Hey, look at my closet. I have 10,000 of the same t-shirts that, you know, cost $500 a piece and my $5,000 hoodies, um, that I have specially custom made with, you know, secret Facebook logos on the inside. Uh, and no one says, you know, people say, you know, wow, Elon Musk, he's the next, you know, Steve Jobs. He's Steve Jobs. No one looks at Zuckerberg and goes, He's the next Steve Jobs. And if someone said that, the response would be, <laughs> seriously? Um, and I think he wants to be taken seriously. He wants to be taken um, as an innovator. On the other hand, he also wants his company to make a lot of money. And his company has made a lot of money by playing fast and loose with privacy, selling that data. All of these things that you know came up to light were all things Facebook knew was going on. And it was more like, oh, we caught our hand in the cookie jar. Okay. Um, we'll take it out and we'll put the cookies back and, uh, we're sorry, but most people again, didn't care. It was sort of like Zuckerberg ate a cookie. So what? You know, it's, it's a chocolate chip cookie. Now, before we go, I do like to have the fuzzy puppy update, pay no attention to the threat that, uh, Michael Gartenberg made earlier about how Apple was going to say, fix this problem or pups, puppies will die. No puppies will die. Um, they're good dogs, Brent. They're good dogs. Uh, the Twitter account Dog Rates, which posts pictures of dogs and rates them via an eclectic or nonsensical uh, rating scale, famously created a meme a couple of years ago when a user named Brant re- criticized that rating scale, famously replying by getting Brant's name wrong and saying, they're good dogs, Brant. Anyway, Brant, a couple years later, got a dog. And this week, that dog, Charlie, was rated on Dog Rates. Charlie got 14 out of 10 like I said. Uh, And to quote dog rates, you've got a good dog, Brent. Your weekly proof that not every story on the internet turns out to be awful. So, good dogs. They're good dogs, Brent. They're good dogs. Anyway, that's it for download for this week. Michael Gartenberg, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me um, at iMore um, for my monthly column and on Twitter, as always, um, at Gartenberg. Easy to remember. And Shelly, where can people find the stuff you do? You can find me at Brisbane.net, B-R-I-S-B-I-N.net, and go to ParallelPodcast.com because exciting things are happening on my little show. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Another really good Twitter name. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Stephen Hackett should be back next week. Uh, but until then... He he and I will both keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Uh, I've been your host, Jason Snow. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.